Good morning. Can you hear me? Wonderful. I was feeling a bit nervous this morning, <coughs> um, and Jenny reminded me that I live in a house where I'm ignored by four children on a regular basis. <laughs> so it'd be really nice to have people that are sitting down, looking and listening. <laughs> so thanks for that in advance. Um, so we're continuing our series this morning on grace, and it's my privilege to be speaking on um, what it looks like to have grace, to live a disciplined life. Um, and to do that, we're going to be looking through Romans 6, the second part of that. So if you've got your Bibles with you today, please turn to Romans 6, verse 12, and we're going to be reading through to 23. If you haven't, I think it'll probably come up behind me as well. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself as to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under law, but you are under grace. What then? Shall we sin? Because we are no longer under law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you, you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that is now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin, and you have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an everyday example because of your human limitations, just as you used, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things resulted in death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Such an amazing <clears throat> um, paragraph, isn't it? So much truth in there to grab a hold of. Um, before I... Um, before I go any further, I just want to um, remind us about what grace is. Um, if you're wondering why we're constantly talking about God's grace in this church, it's because we believe his grace is fundamental um, to our walk as Christians and to who we are as Christians. So I will unapologetically um, give you um, an explanation of what grace is, because I'm sure there's some people here today that may not have heard this message before. So here's a compact definition that I nicked from Sai um, uh, from his first week. Grace is God's gift of unmerited favor given through 
Christ. Grace is God's gift of unmerited favor given through Christ. And from a Christian walk point of view, we can, um, that can be characterized in two ways. Firstly, um, a grace that saves, and secondly, grace that sanctifies. So grace that saves, and what Paul is talking about here, the fact that we have been brought from death into life by the blood of Jesus and the death and resurrection of Jesus. And also that his grace sanctifies us. He enables us through his spirit to live lives for him as his loved children. We were by very nature slaves to sin. If you don't know Jesus this morning, you're by very nature a slave to sin. If you do know him, you were by very nature a slave to sin. We all fell at the first hurdle. We were all born into that. There was no two ways about it. We were hopeless, we were lifeless, and we were godless. But Jesus stepped down from his throne of endless glory and traded it for a cradle in the dirt. Born of a virgin into poverty, despised by those who he had created and was sustaining, beaten by those who needed him the most, Deserted by his friends when he needed them the most. Nailed to two planks of wood in utter humiliation. Why? Not because he fancied a break from all the worship he was receiving in heaven. He wasn't getting bored of it. It's because he loves you. He loves every single one of you with an everlasting love. We are those who have been brought from death to life. We are no longer identifiable by our sin, but we are identifiable by the Son. We no longer look at our trail of wrongdoings and say, I have no hope, but we look to Jesus and say, we have the only hope. We have the only hope. And you know what? He has lavished that gift of grace upon us. He doesn't just a tiny little sprinkling here and there. He has poured it out upon us because he loves us. Isn't that amazing? Just hear that this morning. If you've never heard that before, Jesus loves you. He knows all about you, but he still loves you with an everlasting love. Do you know, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you are a recipient of the most profound display of love that will ever be made in all of history. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, you're invited to be a recipient of that profound love. Amen. And it's that very same grace um, that we see there written in um, Romans 6 that motivates us to be disciplined. It motivates us to live a disciplined and obedient life. So let's just turn back to Romans 6. Um, and have a little look at what Paul's talking about here in, re- in regard to slaves and masters. So he's kind of unpacking this whole thing of who are we obedient to? Who, is us, who are we slaves to? What are we slaves to? So are we slaves to sin or are we slaves to righteousness? Are we slaves to obedience? Are we slaves to law? Not anymore. No, we're slaves to grace. Do we live our lives for our own desires or do, live, or do we live our lives for his desires? 
you kind of get the impression here that Paul's trying to nail down the point because he's repeating himself and repeating himself. He's saying, choose a master. Okay? Choose a master. Here are the reasons why. Here are the implications. Choose a master. And I think that's a good point for us to stop and reflect, isn't it? And ask ourselves that very question. Who is our master this morning? I'm not asking who should be your master, because we all know the Sunday school answer is Jesus. But who is your master right now? 2019, October. Who is your master? Is it your own desires, or is it God's desires? Is it sin, or is it righteousness? How many of you have read or watched the Lord of the Rings saga? Hmm, about half. Okay, some of you are going to get freaked out this morning. <laughs> um, so I've only watched the films because I'm a really slow reader, um, but I really love them. And one of my favourite characters in the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit saga is um, this creature called Gollum, or Smeagol, as he used to be called. Um, I can actually do quite a good impression of him, but I won't do that because... <laughs> um, Gollum is an interesting... <laughs> Maybe later. Gollum is an interesting creature... Um, and he has this kind of split personality and this internal war that is raging within him. There's Smeagol, who is his kind of original, um, it's his original name and who he was as a hobbit. Um, and he's by no means perfect, but um, he has a far better temperament than his alter ego, which is Gollum. And... Um, so uh, Gollum has this kind of yearning and this wanting for this ring of power, this desire for this ring of power, and it's kind of twisted him and it's made him bitter. Um, and it's kind of the only interest in his heart until he meets this little hobbit called Frodo, and he kind of, as he meets Frodo, he finds this hope that actually he might not have to follow this old master anymore. He there's something new, there's something greater. And, and Frodo is this hobbit who's volunteered himself to um, take this ring of power um, and destroy it to end all evil. Um, and so for those of you who haven't watched The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings, um, this next two minutes is going to be a very peculiar time for you. Um, and I apologise for that, but I just want us to watch this uh, short clip together. Who's the master of your life this morning? Are you clinging on to your own abilities? Are you saying through hardships that I did this, I got us through this? Or are we coming for Jesus, who is our new master, who is able to take us through the trials, who is with us in the difficult times? He has the victory. He is our master. And as Christians, or even if you're not a Christian here today, I think this applies just as much that we need to let go of being the master of our lives, don't we? We need to say, leave now and never come back. Jesus is my master now. And it's at this point where we choose to say no to self. It's at this point 
that we say, Lord, I offer myself to you as an obedient slave, or as the Bible also calls us, sons and daughters. It's at this point that we offer ourselves as instruments of righteousness to him, as a living sacrifice, as Paul writes later on in his letter. If God is our master, then we get to play by his rules, and his rule is grace. If you hear anything this morning, hear this, that it is his grace that motivates and stirs us to be obedient and to live disciplined lives. And the really good news is that God doesn't just um, leave us to try and work this out by ourselves. We read in Philippians 1, 6, that he said, it says that he who started a good work in you, so he who saved you by grace, will bring it to completion. Amen? He will bring it to completion. So we aren't just saved by grace alone. We live by grace alone as well. So with this in mind, um, and grace being the context in which um, spiritual disciplines are understood, what does it look like to be spiritually disciplined as a Christian? So there's just a couple of things that I want to make clear um, before we go any deeper about spiritual disciplines. Um, And firstly, um, it's how do we measure the spiritual, how do we measure our spiritual life? Um, when we think about spiritual disciplines, we, I think we can tend to think in quite a small um, capacity. So we may think about um, how much time we spent in prayer or how much time we spent reading the Bible. Um, but actually, the Bible makes clear that there's so many more spiritual disciplines um, that we have um, to live by. Um, there's prayer, there's thanksgiving, there's love, joy... Peace, forbearance, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, patience, rest, devotion to scripture, and many others. We have the privilege of being disciplined in so many areas, and God helps us to do that by his grace. I think we need to get out of our heads um, that this idea of a spiritual life is just a small section of our lives. Our whole life is our spiritual life. So, for example, if you're putting your kids down to bed, the little angels that they are, um, and it's just a real battle, and no matter how many times you say, put your pyjamas on, brush your teeth, and get in bed, they just ignore you. Um, It's a constant battle. Um, this is maybe a good opportunity to ex- exercise the discipline of patience and kindness and gentleness. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't exercise discipline upon your children as well, but for yourselves, it's a good chance to offer those disciplines. Or maybe it's showing kindness to someone who hasn't shown you kindness or maybe doesn't deserve your kindness. Actually, that's a discipline, isn't it? Or maybe it's being thankful for the small things in life instead of grumbling. If all of our lives are spiritual, then God gives us grace in every situation to be spiritually disciplined. Whether you're in Tesco's and you're standing in the aisle, 
waiting or whether you're processing forgiveness towards someone who's caused you heartache. So rather than measuring ourselves um, by spiritual disciplines, I would suggest that it would be more helpful to be measuring um, ourselves by how much we're growing in our love for God and how much we're growing in our love for people. And that leads me to my second point, um, that spiritual disciplines help us to go in three main ways. Um, you may be able to think of more, but these are kind of three that I found to be um, most clear. So three most predominant ways that help us to grow in our love for God and our love for people. They train us to be more and more like Christ, and they equip us to stand against the attacks of the enemy. Living a disciplined life motivated by grace and fueled by the Spirit equips us to do those things. It says in God's Word to train yourself in godliness, doesn't it? It says in Corinthians um, to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. And in Ephesians 6, it speaks about the fact that God has given us armor to counter the attacks of the enemy. So that's the purpose of them, and unfortunately we don't have enough time to go through all those disciplines um, that are listed at the top there. Maybe um, in your life groups this week you can spend some time doing that. Um, But I really felt God um, stirred me uh, in the last couple of weeks to remind us of a prophetic word that was brought by Duncan um, just under two years ago, and I feel like this is really relevant for now um, in the way that we're disciplined in our lives. Um, It's going to come up on the screen. Yeah, good. It's bigger for you there than it is for me there. My people, I am leading you into a new season. The season that is ahead will be characterized by an increase of warfare. I am calling and equipping you for battle. The season that is approaching will bring you onto a war footing. A war footing is when my people are ready and willing for battle. This will be new for many of you. Do not fear entering this time, for I have given into your hands the armor that you need. Make sure you remember that bit. Take for yourself the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the belt of truth of who you are, and above all, pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is my word. That two-edged, mighty sword. Increasingly, you'll need to wield the sword, so be confident in my word for each step of the way. Being on a war fitting is not a battle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and principalities in the heavenly realm. Together with my son, you have power to overcome and live in holiness and victory. So my people, I call you to prepare for this war fitting. Take up arms that I've provided for you. Familiarize yourself and become used to the weapons that I will, and I will advance you in this next season. Allow me to come and prepare you in the secret place to strengthen you, 
to strengthen your weakened hands, to speak to you. Be ready to see Satan crushed under the feet of my son and for glorious victories to be won. Put away all passivity. Be holy. Be active and ready to play your part. Are you ready and willing to step forward onto a war footing? Brothers and sisters, I believe that we are on that war footing right now. I believe that God is preparing us right now in these days. And it is becoming increasingly evident that we are facing spiritual attacks in these days. And the enemy is out to destroy what God is building in this church. We must arm ourselves. We must arm ourselves with the armor and the weapon that God has given us. That prophecy comes out of Ephesians 6 um, as a stand, um, a call to stand against the schemes of the devil. And it lists a, a host of spiritual disciplines that equip us for our spiritual battle, each one to defend us um, and one for attack, which is the sword. So I'm just going to um, go through those handful of disciplines now briefly before we move on. So we have the helmet of salvation. By grace, we have been set free from sin. And it's important that we remind ourselves about that, isn't it? It's important that we remind ourselves daily that we have been set free from sin and that we have been saved. We have been given salvation. The breastplate the breastplate of righteousness by grace we have been set apart to live godly lives in worship to him and you know what? he gives us our, he gives us his grace to do that we don't have to do it in our own strength he gives us grace to be obedient and live godly lives in worship to god and he gives us shoes of the gospel of peace we know that the peace of god through the gospel, and that we walk in readiness into every situation that he puts us in because of that good news. And we have the belt of truth of knowing who we are, the fact that we are in Christ. When he saves us, he puts us in him. And nothing can separate us from his love. And finally, we have the sword of the Spirit, which is his word. By grace, he has given us his word to teach us and to correct us and to train us in righteousness. God's word is important for every area of our lives. And it's important to know that reading God's word isn't just about collecting information for our heads. It's about receiving divine instruction in order to transform a community of believers into the image and likeness of Christ. If we're going to stand united against the enemy's attacks, we must take seriously these disciplines that he has given us to do that. And the amazing thing about that is that God has already given those things by grace. It's just our job to accept those and to walk in them and to be clothed by them. He that started a good work in us will bring it to completion. Lastly, I'd just like to focus on one 
particular discipline, um, and this is a discipline that we don't talk about very much at all, um, and that is the discipline of rest. Um, those of you who know me well know that I don't have a good history of this discipline. Um, I haven't done well to prioritize it in my life. Um, I don't know why I'm smiling. Um, <laughs> and as a result, I haven't been a very good example to any of you in that way. Um, but over the past few months, um, God has really been challenging me and, and Jenny in a surprising way, and we've had the privilege of rediscovering something that God has actually meant for us to walk in um, week in, week out, and actually has, um, what God has put on the whole of creation um, for us to walk in. We live in a fast-paced, stressful world, don't we? Maybe not so much um, as in the city, but still we live in a pressure cooker reality. The adverts on media, when they're not telling us to, um, when they're not talking about Brexit, um, shamelessly tell us what we, what, what we should want, what we should need, um, what our next desire should be, whether it's that's the next car or the next job or the next promotion or the next house. Um, this will make you happy, that will make you happy. We live in a non-stop technological melting pot. I've just got some interesting stats for you. Um, and this is taken from a recent survey of four and a half, over 4,500 people. In the past year, 74% of people have felt so stressed that they have been overwhelmed and, able and unable to cope. 46% reported that they ate too much or ate unhealthily due to stress. 29% reported that they started drinking or increased their drinking. And 16% started smoking or increased their smoking. 49% of 18 to 24-year-olds who have experienced high levels of stress, stress felt that comparing themselves to others was the source of that stress, which was higher than any of the other older age groups. Younger people have higher stress related um, to pressure. To, sorry, younger people have higher stress related to pressure to succeed. 60% of 18 to 24-year-olds and 41% of 25 to 34-year-olds. Those are staggering stats, aren't they? We do live in such a stressful world. And actually, even in the church, where we think maybe we might be exempt from this, um, the most, from what I found, the most popular answer to how was your week is busy, busy, busy. And I'm guilty of this as well. But why do we say it? Is it because um, we want people to think that we've got a lot going on, that maybe we're important, or maybe that we're making the most of our, um, we're earning our wages week in, week out? Is it because we want to sit, be seen to have value? Which any, whichever one of these is not biblical. And I stand before you now and I confess that I have done all of those and I struggle with all of those and actually God is still working within us. Um, but I just want to do for a moment a quick biblical history of rest. So, Genesis 1 and 2, God marked out this rhythm 
of work and rest by working for six days and then resting for one. He didn't work for six and then on the seventh do jobs around the house, mow the lawn, get his hair cut, fix the car, do the shopping. No, God rested. He prioritized and set apart time to rest. Right at the beginning of, beginning of creation, he set a precedent of how life should be lived. And so next, um, next time we see this whole thing of rest um, is where God's people were set, from, uh, set free from captivity from Egypt. Um, just before God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, we see in Exodus 16, um, he gives a command to Moses. He says, tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. God gave the laws to God's people so that they would flourish. Then shortly after that, he gave the Ten Commandments. And on the fourth commandment, um, which is Exodus 20, he said this. He said, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, and on the seventh you shall rest. And that shall be a Sabbath to the Lord your God. The word Sabbath, um, if you um, don't know what it means, because there's quite a good chance, um, means rest. It comes from a Hebrew word of rest and to stop. Um, it's the word Shabbat, um, which is slightly different to the word that's given in um, Genesis 1 and 2, which is Manuka. Um, but they, they mean the same thing, um, to rest. Um, and so then the next time that we um, hear God commanding rest is in Deuteronomy. Um, Deuteronomy meaning the second law. So God's given his law again to the generation after Moses. Um, and he says, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So we've got remember the Sabbath day and observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do your work. On the seventh you shall rest. So from then onwards, um, from Exodus onwards, we see um, in Israel's history, they repeat this rhythm of work and rest, um, and they keep the Sabbath um, throughout that time. And then leading into the New Testament, we see that Jesus also practiced um, Sabbath, rest, and then even after his resurrection and ascension, we see that the early church practiced the Sabbath, um, except that they changed its name or gave it another name. They called it the Lord's Day and then they celebrated um, Christ's resurrection on that day as a part of their rest. So these days were mostly a day of stopping and resting and celebrating in God and all that he had achieved. So what does that look like for us today? I believe that defined times of rest are a biblical um, spiritual discipline that we in the Western culture have actually neglected to a large degree. I believe that as Christians, both individually and as a community, we are missing out on something that God means for our good so that we would flourish in our relationship with him. 
And it's a massive challenge, actually, isn't it? And it's something that we that um, shouldn't be motivated by our own efforts, but actually, again, should be motivated, motivated by the grace of God. And he has given that to us. So practically, what does that look like for us? Um, no doubt that's going to look different to different people. Some of you might work in an office, so your day of rest might be doing something other than sitting down and using your head all day. You might want to do something practical in the garden. Um, and if, you're, if you... Um, do something that's active, like in the building trade, then you might feel, do you know what, I just need to sit down for a long time in a quiet, dark place and recover. Um, for us as a family, we, we've started to try um, to set 24 hours aside each weekend. Um, it is a challenge with four children to do that because it doesn't feel restful, um, really. Um, and actually, do you know what, our times together here on a Sunday morning are a really important part of that time of rest as we celebrate together in the eternal rest that Jesus has given us through his life, death, and resurrection on the cross. And it's great to be able to celebrate that together. We do have um, one fairly strict rule um, on our, in our kind of time of um, stopping, and that's that our phones go on airplane mode. Um, for some of you, that you might find that really helpful. For others, you might not find that helpful at all. Um, but it just gives us space um, so that we're not getting messages and all the rest of it through, the, so we can spend time with each other, and um, yeah, and so we can spend undivided time with God as well. So one of the amazing fruits of rest is that they allow us time to mature. As Christians, they allow us times to do things that we um, may not have done if we hadn't have stopped. In these times, God brings to light areas in our life that um, maybe it's areas of sin in our life that he wants us to be repenting of, or maybe it's areas that he wants us to be stepping out in faith into. God uses these times of quiet to grow us. And as Christians, we, by grace, can bring things to God. And through his spirit, he will change us. As I was driving home um, the other day, I saw a slogan on the side of um, a builder's van. um, And it said this. I thought this is brilliant. Um, He wasn't talking about biblical stuff at all, but um, I think it definitely applies. It says this, building the future and repairing the past. And actually, that is what the work of the Holy Spirit does in our lives, isn't it? He leads us to repent of the sins from the past, and he has dealt with those things. Jesus said in Matthew that he is both Lord of the harvest, and he is Lord of the Sabbath. And the good news is that he is Lord over both areas of our lives, isn't he? He is Lord over our work, and he is Lord over our rest. And he's with us in that. So most of what I've spoken about this morning isn't just a theoretical exercise. Um, It's things that we need to walk in day by day by the grace of God. And it is my prayer for us as a church that we would be equipped by his grace to live lives of discipline that enable us to love him more, to love 
people more and to stand against the enemy, the attack of the enemies, and to live, to live lives of worship to him who deserves it. I'm just going to pray and then I hand over to Nan. God, we thank you that you have given us your grace to do that. God, I thank you that we don't stand alone. You've given us each other as well as a community of believers saved by grace. And God, we pray that as we go about our lives, God, in this next week and this next month and this next year, Lord, we pray that you would enable us, Lord, by your spirit to live lives of discipline, of obedience to you. God, we want you to be our master of our lives, nothing else. God, we give ourselves, our whole lives, Lord, we give to you in worship. Amen.